You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Lord, as we look at you as a holy, holy, holy God, uh, taking away our alienness and taking away our strangers and making a household of the most holy high God. So, Lord, let us look at you this way, holy lifted up, that um, those who wear 24 thrones cast them at your feet and fall down prostrate and worship you. That is the household that we are members of. So, Lord, let us celebrate that and see the privileges and the behavior and the responsibilities that such a high calling bring to us. We thank you in the sufficiency and the supremacy of your son in all things. Amen. Uh, for those of you who don't, don't know me, my name is Tim Eric. I'm one of the elders and pastors here. Uh, it's my privilege to talk about Ephesians 2.19 and to talk about what does it mean to be members of the household of God. I titled this talk, the household of the most high God. Some of you probably don't know this. Most of the gray-haired people will probably recognize his name. Some of you younger people may or may not. But how many people have ever heard of Chuck Colson? Awesome, most about everybody. Chuck was the founder of Prison Fellowship. But Chuck's got a much darker background. In 1972, the White House sent men into Watergate where the Democratic National uh, Headquarters were to spy on them. And they were caught. And Chuck Colson was one of these people that were caught. And so his prison fellowship came out of being a felon. And in this, in 1973, one of the other people that were caught up in that, a man named Tom Phillips, Chuck came over to his house and Tom gave him the gospel. And Tom said, or Chuck said he walked out of the house and got in his car, tried to start it, and broke down in tears because he needed Jesus Christ. The immensity of his sin, not against the people of the United States or the Democratic National Committee or the sins of anything, but sins to the holy God of the universe. And at that point, he got saved. Several years later, though, he tells his story of... Not, he was in a dry spill of his Christianity, and he didn't know why. And a friend of him said, you know, I'd really like you to listen to this tape series by R.C. Sproul, talking about the holiness of God. And so Chuck, being who Chuck was, studied who R.C. Sproul was, and he goes, well, R.C. Sproul is a Ph.D. theologian. What in the world is he going to teach me? He's just another theologian. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. That's R.C. Sproul's spiritual gift, Right to teach the word of God. After listening to the whole series on the holiness of God, Chuck Colson wrote this in his book, Loving God. By the end of the sixth lecture, I was on my knees, deep in prayer, in awe of God's absolute holiness. It was a life-changing experience as I gained a completely new understanding of the holy God I believe in and I worship. In Job chapter 40, Jesus addresses Job this way. 
Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me, Job. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself in majesty and dignity and clothe your, with glory and splendor and pour out the overflowing of your anger and look upon everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then I will also acknowledge to you that your right hand can save you. Job had a misunderstanding of the Holy God. In the next chapter, Job answers back to God this way. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be throttled. Who is it that hides his counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. We heard what Natalie wrote, read today in Revelation. And the reason I want to go this introduction, if I am going to live and glorify God as a member of his household, I need to have the right view of God. I need to see him as he sees himself. And Isaiah in Revelations they sing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And we don't understand sometimes when the Old Testament and New Testament uses a word three times. We simply don't do that anymore. But in the Old Testament and the New Testament, in that culture, repeating a word three times gave it absolute power and perfection. So when we see in Revelations, we can see in Isaiah, the mass is crying out, holy, 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 what it signifies is a perfect holiness poured with more holiness poured on top of more holiness. And it's the way that the Holy Spirit inspires writers to realize you really can't describe the holiness of God. It's indescribable. He is so other than us, we have a hard time putting in words. We can't comprehend a self-existing being that never had a beginning will never have an end. But when we now, because of the holy work that God did, are members of his household, we have to sit in two things. Be inspired by it. Be in awe of it. Be in peace of it. Rejoice in it. Celebrate in it. And we're going to see later on today, live in a manner worthy of the calling of it. When you look, there's a picture uh, I took in Naples Oh, about 12 years ago. It should come up on the screen. Uh, maybe if he backs up, he can get it. Uh, but it's a picture of Christ crucified and being held by the image of God the Father. That's an image of him. It's, he's got a face and he's got a body. Yeah, thank you. It's up there. 
that was in a 13th century chapel. I think the painting was actually painted on the wall in about the 5th century. And when you look at it, I admire the thought of the artist with one problem. Nowhere in the Bible is God ever described within a bodily human form. He is that other than us. We are created in his, his image. The Bible describes him as a fiery will or a burning pot. In Revelations, we saw today, he's described as a rainbow with pills of thunder coming out around his throne in multiple colors that I cannot even describe. That's the father of the household that we are now part of. And so I'm going to do two things this morning. I'm going to stay within the immediate context of Ephesians chapter 2 to understand why Paul calls us that we're no longer strangers and aliens, but members of the household of God. What does it mean within the context of chapter 2? Because you have to look at that. I'm going to expand out of that because today we did celebration of two baptisms. Amen. We're going to ordain deacons. So I'm going, to, I'm going to go to what we call uh, near context, not immediate context. The immediate context of, of the household of God will be Ephesians chapter 2. That's the right way to rightly divide the word of God. I'm going to extend out of that and look at what does that mean to us now? What is the manner in which we should walk? Okay. So let's dive into the first part. Context drives interpretation. So let's look at the context of... Ephesians 2.19. The, conf, com, the uh, context of Ephesians 2.19 begins, how do we interpret this household of God? It begins in 2.12. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants and the promises, no hope and without God in the world. That's who every Gentile was. That's who we all were before God saved us. And now he says in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Something drastic happened to us. Ephesians 2.12 says that I was separated from Christ. The holy God has changed that. I'm no longer separated from God or Christ because he is holy. God in my salvation, in his holiness, has now made me close to Christ through his blood. He says that we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. A holy God fixed that, being that there's only one man now. There's no longer Jew. There's no longer Gentile when you're saved. There is one man. We'll talk about that more in a minute. We were strangers to the covenants of the promise. A holy God has made all the covenants and all the promises of the Old Testament put on me. Nothing better can happen. All the promises he made, all the covenants he made, because he is a holy God, 
are now ours. I'm no longer alienated from the covenants and the promises. I am covered by them. I have no hope. A holy God through Christ gives us hope. I was without God in the world. A holy God fixed that. I am now part of his household. He did that by creating, through the blood of Christ, he created one man, one being. There is no longer Jews. There are no longer Gentiles in the body of Christ. He works through the church. We are no longer alienated. He says he knocked down the dividing walls of being alienated by what? By the cross in the blood of Christ. That, again, is a work of a holy God. He then goes on and says this, we're in verse 20. So verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation. Here's where that household is built. The house is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In this household, you are not, you now have, you belong. You're included. You have protection. You have security. There should be no worries in the body of Christ. You're in the household of a holy, holy, holy God. We are one being, one, one man, all in unity. There's not division anymore. We're not disunity anymore. We are one. And we are the dwelling place in this household of the living God. That should sink in. I would hope for some of us that falls heavy on us. I would hope for some of us we just want to stand up and rejoice. I would hope for some of us that this would now, when you leave here, give you great confidence in your daily walk. Because you can't lose this household. If you are truly saved by grace through faith, this is your household for eternity. You have no fear. There's no more fear. Justin, there's no more fear. Not on this side of heaven, not on the other side of heaven. But I want to switch now. That's the immediate context. God did all the work. In his holiness, he gave us Christ. In his holiness, he included us in the covenants and the promises. In his holiness, he gave us hope. In his holiness, he holds us in his home. But the Bible has another part of that. There is an appropriate behavior of the members of the household of God. And I bet everybody goes, ooh, I got to do something? 
Yeah. Guess what? Because of the holiness of God, you're fully capable about what I'm going to tell you to do. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you because you are the temple of the living God. The grace has been given to you to do it. The fruit of the Holy Spirit has been given to you to accomplish what I'm about to tell you is behavior or responsibilities or appropriateness in the house of God. Turn to same context. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, get this, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You have been called to be a member of the household of God with all humility and gentleness with patience, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In this household, we are called to be gentle and patient with each other in love. Where does that power dwell from? Not me. I don't have it. I was never gentle and patient until God saved me. Quite honest, I was a bit impatient before I got saved. I wanted it all. I wanted prestige. I wanted to be known. I wanted to be acknowledged. And I really didn't want to wait. And then God saved me and goes, but realized, Tim, you didn't save yourself. And as I grew deeper in love with my God, as I became more confident of being in his household, as I became more amazed at the work he did and myself, and my wife, and, I, and my kids, because he is a holy, holy, holy God. And one of the greatest attributes we're going to see that, to a holy, holy, holy God is his love. We're going to read that here in a little bit. And that love dwells in every one of us that are saved by the blood of Christ. You can't say, I can't do it. Yeah, you can. Christ died. He rose again. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He has empowered us to love each other the way I'm about to read to us. Nothing we did. I didn't do it. Couldn't do it. But a holy, holy, holy God empowered us. Galatians chapter 6 says, So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially to those who are, who are in the household of faith. Get that. Our number one responsibility is to each other, to disciple Justin for this day, to love your daughter and show her Christ. For us to celebrate today. 
But then he says there's a more appropriate behavior than that. Let us do good to everyone. Paul says, as much as possible with you, Tim, be good to everyone. Romans 12, 9 says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Get this, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I was awoken this morning at 3.07 a.m. And the things that were going through my head were holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Over and over again. And as I laid there, my message kept going over and over and over again. And then about 325, I had to get out of bed and change things. And I usually try to leave myself open for the Holy Spirit to do that. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another. Jose, you can do better than me. Outdo me. God, that's glorifying to God. It's not a competition. It's just infilling and working of the Holy Spirit, right? Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. These characters reside in each one of us for one reason. Christ alone. Christ alone. He died and he said what? I will send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going, it's a good thing I'm going to heaven because all the apostles said, don't go. But it's a good thing I'm going to heaven because I'll send you a counselor. And when that counselor comes, he will instill gifts to you that I want you to have. And some of those are being able to love like my father loved you. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. This is what the Holy Spirit laid on me. I wasn't going to go here until this morning. And then everything changed. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Remember, we are once strangers and aliens. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That's being me, being a stranger and an alien to all the things of God. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked him when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger with wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12. Paul is basically saying Ephesians 2 again. Put on then as God's chosen ones, those who live in his household, 
put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. I'm going to repeat that. If all those other things aren't good enough, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. There's that household of the Most High God. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. John, First John says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I'm just going to be silent and let that rest on you a little bit. Because God forsake his son for a moment on the cross because he looked down upon his son and he saw my sins. And there were many. And some of them were ugly. And Christ called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A moment in eternity that a complete perfect and loving relationship Jesus only saw the wrath of a holy 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 God because of my sins and if I just dwell on that I will be a joyless Christian simply because what came out of that that's a beautiful statement but it's not complete what came out of that, what came out of that propitiations of sins was the ability for God to dwell in us. Look what he says. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What did we just see in Ephesians 2.19? This household grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And the joy in that, the celebration in that, we just watched. We just saw it. Didn't we? God abides in us and his love is perfected in us, not because I can love you like God, because God abides in me. And through him, I can be patient with Jose. And Jose can be patient with me. In him, Aaron can long suffer with anything. In him, in humility, we can serve each other. In conclusion, when I looked at this, there's a lot of books on what a healthy church looks like. You can read them. Scripture tells us. A healthy church is saturated, saturated in biblical love. It pours out biblical love. And through biblical love comes servanthood. And through servanthood comes unity. It's hard to be in disunity with somebody I love, like God loved me. He promises that he will never forsake us. He tells us in the gospel of John that all that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will not lose one of them. Why? Why will Christ not lose one of all that the Father gave him? John chapter 5 says, because the Father loves me. And I love the Father. And the Father gave me these out of love. I, why would I lose any of them? Why would I lose anything that the Father who gave them out of love give to me? And I won't because Jesus loves the Father. Brothers and sisters, that's the love that dwells in you. That's the love that that propitiation paid for. It made you holy so that the Holy Spirit could dwell in you. So no matter what you go through, Tammy, I can love you. And this body of Christ can love you. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, writes this beautiful explanation of the body of Christ as a body. I am but the fingernail. Probably only one cell in that fingernail. <laughs> uh, we were talking about science this morning. I'm a scientist. That's all I am. I'm happy being that one little cell. That's what God created me to be. I find delight in it. I find my joy that the holy, holy God of the universe would say that I love you so much, Tim. I'm going to make you a cell in this fingernail in the body of Christ. And I and perfectly at peace there. And he goes on to tell you that when I hurt, you should all hurt. When I rejoice, you should all rejoice. All of us should be rejoicing for the two of you this morning because that's what he calls us to do. And then it's really interesting if you really break 12, 1 Corinthians 12 down, it's an amazing text. It should just stop you in your tracks and give you great peace. But then the Holy Spirit empowers Paul to say, but there is a more... Excellent 
way than what I just inspired you, Paul. And he writes this, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You guys hold me accountable for that. If I'm ever up here preaching the word of God and you don't feel that I love you as deeply as I have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to love you, come and tell me. So Tim, I think you're just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal today. Anyone who does not love, excuse me, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I, and if I have all faith, says remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, if I become a martyr for Christ, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Remember, let me stop right now. Context means everything in this. How many of you at your wedding had this at any part of your wedding? Okay, it's good, great text. It's a good text. It has principles and, and practices for that. But then context of this love is my love for Max. My love for the body of Christ. So as I read this, this is the love of the household. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not require, it does not rejoice, excuse me, at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, endures in all things. Love never ends. That's the household of the Most High God that we are part of. A healthy church, saturated in biblical love, leads to holy servanthood and grows into unity of the body of Christ. The household of the Much High God. Celebrate that you're in it. There's no better place on, on God's creation. In heaven, we will experience in multitudes that are unimaginable on this side. That's why we have hope in what we cannot see. But Paul promises that what we see dimly now, and at 62, I'm getting closer to that moment, and I look at it with great joy, that what I see dimly now, I will see face to face. Keep that hope in you. These are beautiful verses. Grab hold of them. Live them. Love each other as husbands and wives this way and those children that way. But love your brothers and sisters in Christ that way. It would be unshepherding of me not to watch our flock and come to you all as where are we as a body of Christ? So if I take our temperature right now on healthiness, I think we have a low grade fever. And I'm not saying that critically. I'm the shepherd. I'm saying it as in, I'm the one that's got to look in the mirror and answer to it. But I say that in some ways is we have been blessed with kids. But we had, sometimes we struggle for people to, to go teach them and love on them. Sometimes it's the same people over and over and over again. 
biblically saturated, leads to servanthood, leads to unity. So we certainly don't have a fever of 104, but we're probably 99 and a half to 100. And we definitely not going to have perfection on this side of the cross. But Paul says, forget what lies behind us. Strive from the upward call of Christ Jesus. What a great calling. And we never have to fear. We never have to worry. We are protected. We are included. And we belong to the household of the Most High God. Let us pray. Holy Father, um, let us come with awe and let us see you as Abba, Father, but let us see you as holy, 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 unimaginably. We just, we can't, we struggle to put it into words. So we talk about carnelian and jasper and, and rainbows and all the things that we kind of understand and we kind of see uh, to describe your holiness. And they're still wanting simply because uh, you are so other. But even in your otherness, even in your holiness, you so desire to draw near to us. You so desire to, uh, to call us, for us to cry out to you, Abba, Father, to be in your household, that your son, that you have loved for all of eternity, never a time you have not, came forth and created, broke down the hostility between us and you. We are no longer enemies, but we are children and partakers in the household of God. Lord, help us walk in a manner worthy of that calling. We thank you in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. Amen.